Good morning. I invite your attention to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 10. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 10. My text will be found in verses 32 and 33. My message is titled, Confessors Confessed, Deniers Denied. There's good reason for Jesus to say what he's going to say in verses 32 and 33 give you some idea as to the necessity of him saying so, let me begin reading from verse number 16, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 16. He says to his disciples, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, ruler of the flies, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? 
and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now my text. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. In a very similar account, Jesus said that whoever confesses me, I will confess before the angels of God. Whoever denies me, I will, con- I will deny before the angels of God. There's no contradiction here. If he confesses us to the Father, he'll be confessing us to his angels because they are around his throne. Another point that should be stressed here is that Jesus' confession of his people, that is those who confess him, is not to the Father privately. It is not as though he goes up to his Father's throne and says, give me your ear, I've got something to say. Do you want to confess somebody to you? No, no, no. It is as though the Father is on his throne and all the holy angels around him and the Son says, I want to confess this one to you. And it's good that he confesses to the angels Because at the last day, he's going to send them forth to gather all his elect. Now, who are his elect? Those whom he confessed before them. So the angels, having heard whom he has confessed on the last day, go forth across the earth and say, Ah, there's one he confessed. Get that one. He must be spared. He must be spared. So therefore, bear this in mind. If you publicly confess Jesus before men on this earth, He will confess you publicly in heaven before all its occupants. But, If you deny Jesus publicly before men here on this earth, he will deny you publicly in heaven before God's throne and his angels. What dreadful words it would be to hear him say, Depart from me, I never knew you. You never confessed me. I will not confess you. You denied me. I deny you. Depart. I hope that no one here will hear our Lord say such words as those. Depart. I never knew you. 
this matter is important. The happiness and the bliss of your soul depends upon it. Confessors of Jesus will be confessed by him. Deniers of Jesus will be denied by him. So therefore, seeing the import of this matter, let us consider and answer four questions. What is it to confess? Whom are we to confess? Before whom are we to confess him? And fourth, how are we to confess him? Look at that first question. What is it to confess? The word in the Greek text simply means to say the same things as another. (laughs) That's, That's the basic meaning of the word. To confess Jesus is to say the same things he does. That's what we do when we confess him. We admit that he is right and we declare what he said and we deny nothing about him with regard to his person or his words. That's what it is. Second point, whom are we to confess? Jesus says we are to confess me. We are to confess him. Our confession is not of something. Our confession is not something written out and called a confession of faith. That is not what it is. That is not what we are told to confess. Neither is it a creed. We do not confess a denomination. We do not confess this or that or the other. Our confession is Christ. We confess Him. He says, confess me before men. We are to confess Jesus Christ for all the years. Well, that is a subject far too great for us to consider today. But I'm going to give to you five of the most important things about Jesus Christ that we must confess. Five very important things to confess regarding Jesus Christ. First, confess Jesus Christ as God. And again, the scriptural proofs for his deity are far too numerous for us to consider today. I'll just give you ten brief declarations of his deity given by God the Father and his holy prophets and apostles. He is God. God the Father said so in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. Consider, God the Father called His Son Jesus Christ God in saying, Oh God, your throne is forever. (laughs) 
I'm not sure I understand all that, but it's true. God the Father understands it, and that's good enough for me. God the Father called Jesus Christ his son, God. Well, I'm not going to disagree with God the Father. I'm going to confess what God the Father declared. I'm going to let his words be my words. I'll confess Jesus Christ is God. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, he is called the mighty God. In the same text, he is called the eternal Father. Thomas declared in John 20 verse 28 that he is my Lord and my God. Paul the Apostle in Romans 9, 5 called him the eternally blessed God. Paul called him in Titus 2, 13, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. John the Apostle in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 20, called him the true God and eternal life. Paul the Apostle in 1 Timothy 3, 16 called him God manifested in the flesh. The angel of God said his name shall be called Emmanuel, meaning literally, with us is God. And Jehovah said, this is his name by which you shall call him Jehovah, our righteousness. Now that's just ten declarations. I could have given you more, but time and space here do not permit But if God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the holy apostles and prophets declare Jesus Christ to be God, I'm going to agree with them. That's my confession. I would say to you that if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, and I assume I'm talking to no one here in this room, but any who deny the deity of Jesus Christ have denied him. You may claim to be one of his disciples. You may claim to be one of his witnesses. But if you deny his deity, you have denied him. It's that important. It is that important. Furthermore, we must confess Jesus Christ as our only mediator with God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Consider, there's only one God and there are many men, but there is only one mediator between the many men and the one God. Only one mediator. What is a mediator? Literally a go-between. A mediator goes between two parties to make peace between them. Now, we by nature are at enmity against God. Our sins are rebellion against Him. They have put a distance between us. They have separated us from God. We are too sinful to approach Him, and He is too holy to even look upon us. How can there be any peace between those who are at enmity against each other such as this? Sinners who refuse to approach Him, 
And God, who is too holy to even look upon them, they need a mediator. If there is ever to be peace between them, they need a mediator. And they need Him soon, because God's wrath is coming after them right now. They need a mediator, and this only mediator is Jesus Christ. Being God, as we just said, He represents God to men. Being man, as God manifested in the flesh, He represents men to God. And being the God-man, He takes the hand of God and the hand of man and brings them both together and there is peace between them. And there's only one who can do that. Only one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any should say, I want Mary for my mediator. Or I want the saints for my mediator. That is a denial of Christ. That is a denial that he's the only mediator. Let there be none of such sort among us this day. Third, confess Jesus Christ as your only prophet from God. Now a prophet is God's spokesman to his people. When God speaks to his people, he does not come down and do it personally. He has a prophet. He calls the prophet and he says, this is my word to the people. You go deliver it. That's why a prophet always prefaced his words with, Thus saith Jehovah. The prophet comes and speaks to the people. God in ancient times spoke to the people by prophets such as Moses, Elijah, Elisha. The prophets who wrote the books in the Old Testament toward the end. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Malachi. All of these were prophets. They were sent by God. And then let us include the last of the Old Testament prophets, who also is the first of the New Testament preachers, John the Baptist. These were prophets. But then we read in the epistle to the Hebrews, that God, who in other times and in various manners spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ spoke, God could say, I'm done speaking. I've said enough. No more revelation. My son has given it all. He is the final prophet. God sent no prophet with revelation from him after sending Jesus Christ. We confess Jesus Christ as Jehovah's final prophet. We do not deny him 
by following some other man or woman who claims to have had new revelation from God. And they abound. They abound. We do not follow them. We have nothing to do with them. We would not deny Jesus Christ as the final prophet from God by following somebody else who's got a new revelation or claims to have done so. Furthermore, we must confess Jesus Christ as our only priest to God. Now, the prophet and the priest were mediatorial offices. The prophet was God's spokesman to the people. The priest was the people's representative to God. The prophet represented God to the people by declaring God's word. Well, when he did that, they learned what great sinners they were. We need sacrifices. And God said, I won't accept your sacrifices. You'll have to have my priest make them for you. So God ordained a priesthood. Aaron and his sons. And it was the priest who made the sacrifices to God. You had to have your sacrifices made by the priest. It was the priest who interceded to God in your behalf by the sacrifices that he made. Then we come to the epistle of the Hebrews. Not only do we there find that Jesus Christ is the final prophet from God, but there we also find he is the final priest to God. And every priest stands daily offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, having made one sacrifice for sins forever, there on Mount Calvary. On that tree, he has found his altar. And on that altar, the Lamb of God has been slain. And the Lamb of God has been slain by the priest of God. The altar and the Lamb and the priest, all of them are Jesus Christ. All of them are Jesus Christ. He made one sacrifice for sin forever. And then he did something no other priest before him ever did. He sat down. He sat down. Why? No more sacrifices to be made. He's done it all. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now that's the priest. After he has made his sacrifice, no more need for a, a, a mortal priesthood. Since that is true, when this priest had made his sacrifice for sin on Mount Calvary, God reached down from heaven. And there's the temple in Jerusalem. And there is a priest getting ready to make a Passover offering. 
He's going to go into the holy place and make an offering. God reached down from heaven and took the veil of the temple and tore it in two from top to bottom and said, don't come in here again. There on Calvary, my son has made an offering and no more priesthood is needed. He is the final priest. Well, if he is the final priest, surely we should not deny him by following some man or woman who claims to be a priest and makes sacrifices for the people's sins. Call it the mass, call it the whatever you wish. It is a denial of Jesus Christ as the final priest from God to follow anybody who claims to make any sort of a sacrifice for sins or claims to have the power to forgive you of your sins like the priest could in his offering. Furthermore, we must confess Jesus Christ as the supreme ruler. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. The blessed and only potentate. And God of gods. That's him. That's Jesus Christ. He is the supreme ruler. God has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Placed him in power over authorities and principalities. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Now, we are to obey kings, civil authorities, the president, the magistrates on the federal and the state and the local levels. Obey them. They are God's ministers. Romans 13 is very clear on this. Obey them. Unless they require to do you that which is contrary to Christ. Now when they require you to do something that is contrary to Christ, whom should you obey? Him or them? Well, the apostles of our Lord were told by Jesus Christ, go and preach in my name. And the civil authority said, we forbid you to preach in his name. Oh, what shall we do? They said, we must obey God rather than men. Jesus Christ is our supreme ruler. And I say to you that we confess him when we esteem him higher than any other moral authority on this earth. But if we should follow the dictates of men, In ceasing to follow Jesus Christ, we have denied Him. Let there be none of the, that sort among us today. But come to the third point. Before whom are we to confess men? Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men and women, we understand. 
This means that confession of Jesus Christ is not a private matter. Confession of Jesus Christ is not something you do only in your heart or only in your closet. No, no, no. Confess me before men. And now the fourth and final point. It's not a brief one, but it is the final point. How are we to confess Him? Well, I'll give you five ways. And by the way, notice that we are not told to profess Him. We are told to confess Him. Many professing Christians are not truly confessing Christians. Jesus said, Confess me before men. How shall we do it? Well, first, we shall join a confessing mouth to a believing heart. The Scripture says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, it is not enough to merely believe in your heart in Jesus Christ. The devils do that much. You say there's one God, well, they also believe, but they will not confess Him. What does our mouth do? Our mouth confesses what our heart believes. We believe in Jesus Christ. God is raised from the dead. And we declare that and we confess that with our mouths. God not only gave you a believing heart, He also gave you a confessing mouth. And He intends us to use both. Furthermore, we are to confess Jesus Christ in baptism. Now, in this sacred ordinance, and it is a sacred ordinance, we obey Jesus Christ in symbolizing that we have died with Him, that we consequently have been buried with Him in a watery grave, and then we have been raised from the dead with Him to walk in newness of life through Him. It's all a symbolism. But it is important. It is our confession of faith. Baptism is a public confession of faith. In fact, although we are to confess Him with the mouth, baptism is our public confession. It's not to be done in private. It is a public confession. And it should be done as quickly as, as, as possible when one has believed in Jesus Christ. Ananias comes to Saul of Tarsus, who has just been converted on that road to Damascus. Saul of Tarsus is now a believer. And what does Ananias say? Why are you tarrying? Arise and be baptized. It should be done quickly. If you'll notice, as you read the New Testament, particularly the book of the Acts of the Apostles, 
no such thing as an unbaptized believer unless it was one on his way to the water. Baptism is the confession of faith should be done as soon as possible after one has believed the gospel. And we have no confidence in the confession of one who refuses to be baptized. I've met a few. Uh, I don't think it's that important, they say. Really? Really? Well, you have not confessed Christ until you have followed Him in baptism. It is your public confession of faith. And it is only for believers. This is seen in the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch when the gospel had been preached to him by Philip the evangelist. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip the evangelist said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Now listen. And both Philip and the eunuch together went down into the water and Philip baptized him. They both went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Why? He's a believer. He's a believer. I listened this past week to a message by your late pastor, John Mitchell. He's answering some questions. <laughs> and he says, people ask, which is right, infant baptism or adult baptism? And uh, he says, one's as good as the other. And I go, okay, John Mitchell. <laughs> you got my attention. One's as good as the other. And then he says, neither is right. It's not infant baptism versus adult baptism. It is believer's baptism. Believer's baptism. Okay, John Mitchell, we are in complete agreement. <laughs> Believer's baptism. Woman on St. Thomas many years ago, back in the 80s, she knew that I refused to baptize infants. But she had a newborn. She thought maybe I'd make an exception for her, and she says, would you baptize my infant? And I said, yeah. Yeah, I will. Oh, you, you know, took her completely by surprise. As under one condition, if your infant believes in Jesus Christ, I'll baptize your infant. Oh, that dropped the, the conversation right there. It is believers who are to be baptized. It is believers in Jesus Christ. If you believe, you may be baptized. And baptism necessitates immersion. Now that point has already been made, has it not? It is a burial into a watered grave and a raising from the dead. 
Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water. The very word baptize means immerse. Nothing else suffices. Nothing else suffices. It is a burial. And I tell you that dropping a few drops of water on somebody's head does not picture burial and resurrection. No way it can be done. Therefore, you have not confessed Christ in baptism unless you're a believer and you have followed him into a watery grave having died with him and then being raised with him to walk in newness of life through him. Third, we are to confess Jesus Christ by telling all others what he has done for us. A foremost example would be that Gadarene demoniac we preached about him a couple of weeks ago. The Lord delivered him from his demons, exorcised them from him, and this man wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I have something better for you to do. Go to your home and tell what God has done for you, how He has had mercy on you. Go tell what God has done for you. Go home. Tell your family what God has done for you. (laughs) He did more than that. The Scripture says He published throughout Decapolis what Jesus had done for Him. Well, That's what we do. That's a confession of Christ. That's a worthy way to confess Him. Tell what Jesus has done for you. Tell others how He's had mercy on you. Tell others how He justified you and sanctified you and reconciled you and saved you. And don't tell them what you did. Because you did nothing that was worthy of your salvation. I tell you, you show me a person who does not want to tell what Jesus has done for him or who would rather talk about some other person or thing, I'll show you a person for whom Jesus has done nothing in the way of salvation. If he has done something for you, you'll tell it. You'll tell it. You will not make a pest of yourself in it. You'll not cast your pearls before swine. You will not give that which is holy unto the dogs. But you're just looking for an opportunity to tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Fifth, And last, we are to confess Jesus Christ until death. Confess Him until the day that you die. Judas Iscariot confessed Christ, but later denied Him by betraying Him. 
and then died in unbelief and went to his own place. Judas Iscariot denied Christ. Christ denied him. Peter the Apostle confessed him, then denied him. Jesus said, I pray for you. You're going to deny me, but I'm praying for you. Oh, if I could just know that Jesus is praying for me. But Peter confessed him. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then denied him. I don't know that man. I have no idea who he is. I'm not one of his. And then went out and wept bitterly. Repented of his denial. And on a few days later, he stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached one of the greatest confessions of Jesus Christ. You'll find in all the scriptures. Read it in Acts chapter 2. Who is this one confessing Christ on the day of Pentecost? It's a man who denied him just a few days ago. (laughs) But look what has happened. He's repented of his sins and Jesus has forgiven him. He's confessing Christ and now Christ is in heaven confessing him. That's, that's Peter down there. He's mine. He's one, listen, he, he's preaching the gospel, confessing me. He's mine. Therefore, God forbid, but you may deny him. But I'll tell you this, if you repent, He'll forgive you and then confess you. Polycarp. He was born probably about the middle of the latter part of the first century. He evidently was an associate of John the Apostle. Polycarp probably pastored a church in Smyrna. Faithfully followed the Lord for many years. And then the Romans came. They're going to kill him because he's a preacher. He confesses Christ. At first he hid and then was ashamed of doing so. Let himself be taken by the authorities. They hauled him into the arena. And there before the throngs of people, the old man is brought, put on public display. And the Roman proconsul the governor of the place told him, recant, deny Jesus Christ, or be burned to death. Polycarp is an old man. Here's what he said. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has 
done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? Eighty-six years. And you want me to deny Him? I can't do it. I'm incapable of doing it. How can I do that? They told him to bind him to the stake. He said, you don't need to. I'll take hold of the stake myself. They set the stake on fire to burning. And then, believing that the flames were not doing a good enough job, they had him stabbed and pierced until he died. And he confessed Christ until his dying breath. I have no doubt that Jesus did for Polycarp what he did for Stephen. When he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Come home. Come home. (laughs) Polycarp confessed Jesus Christ until the day he died. Made his greatest confession in his death. And now Jesus confesses him in heaven and will do so forever. Now, do you see how important this matter is? If you deny Jesus like Judas did, he'll deny you. He will deny you entrance into heaven and then say, I never knew you. I never knew you. He'll say to his Father and to the holy angels, not one of mine, not one of mine. You may deny Christ, but if you confess, and repent of doing so, Jesus will say, You're mine. Father, he's, he's one of mine. Holy angels, he's mine. And like Polycarp, until the day you die, confess him and know that he will confess you. Oh God, our Father, Be pleased, we pray, to bless this word. Give us believing hearts and confessing mouths. May we confess you till the day we die and then be confessed in heaven forever. To your glory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.